As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. All right, Cool Hand, we have a big show planned for today. There was a, a lot of racing, a lot of cool stories that come out of the week and the weekend. First and foremost, we'll talk about the Fall Fling. It was a great event at Bristol. We'll talk about Rocky Penta Valley, which dominated the event. Really cool story there. Peter and Kyle had a big announcement for 2019's Fall Fling at Bristol next September. Can't wait to talk about that at length. NHRA got a little slippery in St. Louis. Um, that's uh, a very hot topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very hot topic that people are talking about. I'm sure you saw that or seen plenty of that. Looked like it got a little slick. A little yeah. slick, a little slick. Wow. So. Unbelievable. But first, uh, a couple of things we overlooked last week that I know you wanted to talk about. Yeah, we, sorry, we got to get better. I mean, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> when you when you try to cover everything that happens in the world of sportsman drag racing on a weekly basis. But there was a couple last week that 
this first one especially, Big Jed, we, there's no excuse for missing this. This is awful. <laughs> Listeners, I, I think it was it was back in May or June, the Division Six event up in Boise, Idaho. We pretty much went nuts when a fellow named Derek Elam got the win in Stock Eliminator because Derek Elam wheels a W-Stock automatic Pinto. Like the coolest Stock Eliminator car in the history <laughs> of cool Stock Eliminator cars. <laughs> And by far, like it's not close. We talked last week about Justin Lamb's recent stock eliminator dominance and how he has catapulted himself into the national points lead in both stock and super stock. Oh, by the way, he is the reigning world champion in both stock and super stock. And like I tend to do, at least I sung Justin's praises on high without ever mentioning who Justin beat in the final round at Woodburn, Oregon last weekend, the one, the only Derek Elam in that same famed W-Stock automatic Pinto. We at least owed him a shout-out. I'm sorry. That's a big deal, man. And just think, Big Jed, about what he's accomplishing in what we have established is the year of the Chevette. And think about what is to come a year from now in 2019, what is obviously going to be the year of the Pinto. The sky's the limit. I'm Derek. I mean, I know it's going to be January or February before we have our 2019 NHRA pick em. I'm just calling my shot right now. <laughs> Derek Elam, world champ. Congrats, Derek. In, in all seriousness, that's really impressive. We have a 16 second car to two divisional finals yes. in one season. Also, like, I got this email like as we finished recording last week's podcast, and it's an awesome story that is worthy of sharing, even though it is now a week late, at the Division 5 ET Finals held at Topeka a week ago, which we covered on last week's show. We mentioned the fact that a young man named Jesse Nelson won the high school category at the Division 5 ET Finals. What we didn't know and were informed, thanks to the NHRA Division 5 staff, by the way. So shout out to those guys for getting us some cool information. What we didn't know at the time was the story behind Jesse's win. And as the story goes, in 2017, Jesse Nelson had plans to compete all season in hopes of advancing to the ET Finals to represent his home track in the high school category. But in early 2017, Jesse's father was diagnosed with some sort of cancer and believe that it was uh, throat cancer or something along those lines. And at that time, Jesse, obviously high school student, basically dropped his plans for the racing season and worked full time at his family's farm while obviously also attending high school. This season, he snuck in a couple of races, qualified I'm sorry, last year he qualified for the ET finals, but there was a problem at the farm. He was not able to attend the event. Fast forward to this year, his, his father's doing pretty well, and Jesse got the opportunity to qualify for the team. In fact, his father was at Topeka at the bracket finals to watch him turn on, not just a win light or two, but ultimately the win light that everybody's after to win the Division 5 ET finals in the high school category. And as Travis Hilton of uh, NHRA Division 5 told us, again, his father was on the premises for that. And as you might imagine, not a dry eye in the house. Pretty cool story for what is obviously a very selfless young man. And to see somebody like that 
have that type of success at that level. Uh, like just a feel-good story, and, and I felt one that needed to be shared. Most definitely, um, Luke, with, with all that going on in that young man's life and him being faced with some difficult life decisions at such a young age and making, obviously, the right decisions and it working out in the end the way that everyone wants it to is just a, a great feel-good story and really proud of Jesse and I'm really happy to hear that his father is doing well and, and Jesse's back performing at a high level on the racetrack. Can't wait to see more out of that young man as we uh, move forward in the race seasons to come. So again, big show right. coming, Luke. What better way to wrap up that feel-good story and kick it off than talk about our BTE Who's Hot. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. BTE Who's Hot. BTE staff is selected directly from the racing community. From sales to manufacturing, each member of their staff is a performance enthusiast. With multiple world championships and number one qualifiers, they offer expert professional technical advice for your racing operations. See our staff directly. Our commitment to your success is part of our own. So, Luke, super, super hot driver. No secret. Everybody's going to know who's getting it this week. But this man performed extremely well in Bristol. There is nowhere else to go this week, Big Jed. We're going to be joined by a man who had a really good season last weekend. <laughs> yeah, he did. He had a great season last weekend. <laughs> yeah, Rocky Penta Valley won the uh, warm-up race on Thursday, which uh, Wednesday, excuse me, which is a 15 grander. Uh, that's how they warm it up at the Fall Fling. Took his uh, three-speed Mopar and did his thing. Cracked everybody for 15. So. You know, I know Rocky fairly well. I know Jeff Verde, his great friend, and know Rocky has won a ton over the years. But still, you know, you don't see those types of cars winning on that stage very often. And then just to make sure that everybody knew how talented Rocky is and how good his equipment performs, he went on on Friday and won the 50 grander and did that in a sea of dragsters, you know, the door car versus dragster classical classic matchup, excuse me. But uh, Rocky, I mean, just dominated the field, won the Todd's Extreme MVP for his two huge wins on that stage. It was, it was just an incredible performance on his part, Luke. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, you're talking about a race that's on the, the short list of the pinnacle events of the sportsman drag racing season, and it's rare to see anyone run over the field, so to speak, or to win multiple days of an event like that, much less, as you mentioned, someone doing it in a less than conventional operation. You know, I mean, it'd be one thing if a 450 dragster won two days, you know what I mean? And, and sure. with a, you know, Troy Williams Jr. behind the wheel or something along those lines. But here's a man that's obviously been very successful in, in racing, but in a more regional sense. And as you mentioned, in a back half Mopar with a three speed, like the... This stuff just doesn't happen typically, and it's really what bracket racing is all about. Like, it's what this deal was founded on. You just don't see it as often anymore, and it's a really cool story, and it's the reason, obviously, that that Rocky's this week's BT Who's Hot, and I am just fired up to get to hear his, his story from the weekend. So excited to have him on with us. 
Yeah, so we'll move right into that. We've actually got Rocky Pentavalli on the phone with us. Uh, Rocky, we appreciate you joining us tonight, man. How's everything going in your neck of the world? Oh, it's going fine. I'm still <laughs> riding the high, I guess you'd say. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine, man. I, you know, we, we talked a little off air, but Rocky has it has it sank in i mean what you accomplished on that huge stage full of that talent uh this week at bristol you know i don't know i i just um you know i just went out there with with the you know mindset of you know i was going to have a good time that weekend if i didn't win around and you know it turned out quite a bit different than that so you know it's like a dream come true type of thing i mean it's just when you go out there with that mindset and you come back you know winning <laughs> two of the races it's like um it's kind of crazy you know so i, I you know i don't know if it's sunk in yet or not to be quite honest with you but <laughs> well, yeah well it was it was awesome to watch i mean i i think everybody there has sore face from smiling so much for you watching you and your humility and the winner's circle and and all that you accomplished this weekend but rocky to get us started for our listeners that aren't as familiar with you and your racing history, just give us a fairly quick rundown of when and how you got started in racing up to now, like, you know, with championships and things that you've won over the years. Well, uh, it goes back a ways. Um, I guess you could say the early eighties is when I started going to a drag strip, uh, in my street car and, you know, with street tires and exhaust and, you know, that's how I got started, and uh, it didn't take long before I kind of, you know, got bit by the bug, so it, it just kind of all progressed from there, you know, and then, you know, got a trailer for that car, and that kind of became the race car, and then, you know, somewhere in the late 90s, I got this duster, and uh, wasn't quite the way it is now, but, you know, I, I bought it then, and I kind of been working on it on and off ever since <laughs> and you know i've done a lot of local racing and close by racing like north carolina maryland stuff like that and um i've actually got somebody beeping in on me but i'm thinking they'll just have to call me back <laughs> but um thank you anyway <laughs> i don't know i you know i've won some track championships at richmond dragway and at virginia motorsports park and at they used to have a thing called the uh what was that called in maryland uh, raider raider series yeah yeah the raider et series i won that championship once and um you know it's just <laughs> it's kind of been a long long drawn out type of thing you know i just love drag racing so but i kind of kind of lost kind of stopped having fun you know some years back you know it just seemed you know i don't know it just wasn't the same anymore, but these events, you know, the flying events, my first one was in the spring and I knew after going to that one that I was hooked on that because I felt like I used to feel 20 years ago racing. So I, I I can't say enough about them, you know, to tell you the truth, the events themselves. And it just, you know, makes me up 20 years younger or something, you know, and, and just, um, it's, just feels great being there you know yeah so. they, they definitely bring the fun back for sure and, and obviously you've done it at a very high level for a long time but 
I don't think you've ever had a weekend quite like you had or a week quite like you've had uh, at Bristol. So take us through that week and weekend, Rocky, and tell us what we don't already know about your dominant performance. You know, what went wrong along the way that you had to fix and where were your quote unquote lucky rounds to slide by and keep marching towards those two huge wins? Well, <laughs> um, one of them was against you, but anyway. <laughs> Didn't look like luck somewhere else. It? <laughs> um, basically, I was just trying to not beat myself, you know, be decent on the lights and, and go down there and not run out, you know, but be tight enough to where I was going to make somebody beat me. I don't know. I guess the final in the Wednesday race, I um, – <laughs> went down there and well, I took a bunch of numbers out and uh, hit the tree well and went down there and forgot to look for him and lifted at exactly the right time to be dead on with the zero. So, you know, that was kind of um, kind of lucky, you know, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, you were six but, total um, out there, if I remember correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, I feel like I got by with some, some things throughout the race, throughout the rounds. And then the Friday race, you know, against you, I mean, I, I, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, messed it up, but just got by with it. So, um, <laughs> what, wasn't trying to be that good at the starting line or that good at the finish line, but, uh, yeah, I got by with it. take one is what you were, Rocky, just so the listeners know you were perfect on the tree and you got there at that hour. So, I don't imagine you're going to get many losses with laps like that. So that, yeah, and again, well, didn't look like luck from where I was sitting. It looked like pretty darn yeah, good skill. Well, you're not going to get by with that ten rounds to win a race, though. You know that's the way <laughs> I look at it. So, and then I guess that semifinal where dumped it off down there and was still out, but out exactly as much as the dragster. You know, I mean that was a lucky one. So, um, you know, in the semis and the fifty. And uh, yeah. I don't know, that's the two that, that's the rounds that, you know, I can just remember right off the top of my head. The rest of it's just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of happened, you know, I don't know. But um, yeah. in the final, I just, I just drove it out the back door. I knew, I, I just felt like it wasn't going to run out. So, and I can't drive the stripe on the dragster. So just put the number on there and drive it, you know. And well uh, done. <laughs> that's Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> As much as I appreciate your uh, your humility toward my co-host, like you can just—I mean, we're all friends here. Like you can just tell everybody you whipped this butt. You, you mean you were perfect, pick one. That call that you had beeping in earlier—that's nothing to worry about. They're either calling with congratulations or they're asking to borrow money. So you're you're better off in this conversation <laughs> with us. <laughs> Rocky, did were you a? aware i guess coming into the weekend or maybe coming into friday morning that the fall fling had the tides extreme mvp award and at what point during the weekend did you realize hey i'm I'm actually in position to to maybe win this thing well no i did not realize it and um and i guess when i realized that was uh when they told me about it after I won Friday night. So <laughs> that's about how that happened. Yeah. You were so dominant rocket. They awarded you that with an entire race left to go. That was basically first thing Saturday morning. You won that. Yeah, they didn't care what yeah. happened Saturday. <laughs> you, <laughs> right, it, you it's won a new subject at that point. <laughs> 
Yeah, I uh, like I said, it's it's. <laughs> I don't know whether you <laughs> know what this feels like or not, but it's just like I don't know. You know, I never go. I never would have gone expecting to to do that well, and you know, the fact that I have, it's like I guess it was just my time. Well, but, you uh, said yourself earlier, you you came into the weekend with the mindset that I'm going to have a good time if I don't win a round. When you flip that over and almost go through the weekend without losing a round, <laughs> like, I mean, how can you even put it into words two days removed from it? Right. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what I mean. I can't really give a good explanation of it because I, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. You know, it's like the wind lights just kept lighting up, you know, and um, I was just trying not to beat myself and that's um you know my good friend jeff verdi that's the way he races and i've always been guilty of trying to tighten up both ends so much that i end up beating myself and that weekend i kind of had a little different strategy and not that i was all that comfortable with it but it it kept working so (laughs) you know i don't know it's it's just um one of those things may never happen again you know but it certainly happened once, and that's probably more than most people experience. So that's uh, good enough for me, you know. Yeah, it's good enough for us too. It gives us plenty to talk about this week. You are you are the story of the week, without question. We talked a little bit in the lead-in about your race car, and correct me if I've got any details off, but your car is a Mopar-powered three-speed transmission and if i understand correctly it's on gas many would would look at that and say that is not the quote-unquote ideal weapon for big dollar bracket racing today obviously you proved that wrong how are you so successful with uh what was what's the word i'm looking for unconventional combination it hadn't been easy let's put it that way um <laughs> you know i i mean I, like i said i do all my own stuff i've worked on cars for 40 years and about you know done all my own stuff and and it's not always successful right off the bat you know so i've actually i put a trans brake in that car about two and a half years ago because i just i wanted to do something different you know i've been foot braking for a lot of years and and um and it took me about two and a half years to get the car to where number one i could drive it <laughs> it didn't try to flip over backwards and number two <laughs> where it would run the number you know I think I finally hit on it. So, um, and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a lot of change going on, you know, to get it to work that way. So it's not easy. I can tell you, <laughs> in fact, it's pretty frustrating, but, um, but it's, uh, that's got to be all me of, huh? of that labor feel even better though, when it's done. I really didn't know whether it would ever <laughs> work right, you know, so, <laughs> But uh, I, I think I think I better leave it alone at this point. Yeah, yeah. Sound like you you figured it out, Rocky. Especially for <laughs> it to be that good on the mountain, that's not easy to do, even when your car yeah. is good. So uh, yeah, I so, mean that that place is very hard to dial. You know. Yeah, um, yeah it can be a challenge. So Rocky, uh, a little birdie told me that uh, <laughs> you have a 1970 Challenger that you're restoring with someone pretty special in your life. Give us a little history on that car and tell us how that restoration's going. Well, that was the car I um, 
pretty much started out with uh that was my everyday driver that i used to take to the racetrack and then it all kind of progressed from there and i raced that car for years and so then after a while i, I let my wife start driving it at the track and then she stopped driving it so then i started making it less of a race car more of a street car and um we basically did all the restoration ourselves here and uh, she helped me you know <laughs> do everything from the headliner to the carpet to the seats to the you know and uh she's always been a a great help and you know been a lot of support you know in everything that i've done so uh it's um right now it's uh it's in pretty good shape i i would i would put it up against most any car at a car show as far as interior and and the exterior is not perfect because it's been 25 years since it was painted but it still looks pretty good. So, um, you know, I, um, uh, I don't know that I'll ever get rid of that one. They might bury me in it maybe, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sound like you know, cool ride. It's just, yeah, that's just one of those, one of those things you, you don't, uh, I don't know. I could never get rid of it, <laughs> you know? So, um, I, I guess it's, it's, it's being fully restored. I just got a few, few more things to do, but, uh, it's a, it's a good daily driver if you wanted to drive it, but I don't do much of it. <laughs> but, Rocky, uh, when you're when you're not winning fifty granders at the at the fall fling, what is what do you do for a living? What's your day job? I work on cars, you know, automotive repair, truck repair, stuff like that. Gotcha. Any uh, any specific make model brand that you do most of your work on? I work on most anything, but I mean, I had a lot of a lot of time in the Chevrolet dealership and so a lot of General Motors, you know, training and stuff like that. So I guess that would be the brand that I know the most about, you know, is uh General Motors. But uh so with so on- much GM training uh and, and years of work as a technician, how have you how did you become such a Mopar fan? Growing up, you know, my parents, you know, they had Chrysler and Dodge and, and uh my uncle actually was a drag racer back in the sixties and he had a, uh, I never will forget about it. He came by one day in a 70, pretty sure it was either a Cooter or a Challenger Hemi car and gave me a ride in it. You know, that was pretty cool. Now, you know, realizing <laughs> just how cool that car was or is today. <laughs> and he had one back then and I rode in it. I was like, you know, but he was a he was a racer at Richmond Dragway in the sixties and um he probably had a little hand in me in me uh liking drag racing too, you know. So Sounds yeah, like so. that set the hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, I drive GM products during the day and race Mopar <laughs> on the weekends. So. <laughs> it's a rare combination, Rocky. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what everybody says. So, yeah, they also say I got to put a power glide in it, but I never have. So, <laughs> nah, uh, don't don't listen to them. You, you're making it work just fine. All four, five or six or seven of them shifts when you rolled up in that Nova's passenger door window and it was just full of Mopar. It looked like he was hitting them just perfect. So, don't worry about shifting one time. You shifted many times you want to, bud. You're making it work just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to have fun too, you know. So. Yeah, well, you you ruined that for me, but I ain't gonna hold it against you. 
Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I got you $1,000. Yeah, you, you helped me out a lot. I appreciate it. No, all kidding aside, man, I was, you just, I couldn't help but be happy for you. You, you really um, earned everything you got, Rocky. So, obviously, we know about you, you a little bit of your history now and your big week at Bristol, but where are you headed next? So, I can make sure I avoid that facility. I don't really have any plans at this point other than wanting to hit the the flings next year, you know, hopefully can get in before they get sold out, you know. Other than that, I don't really have a lot of plans, you know. I might hit a couple of local things and maybe put the wife in the car for a little while, you know, get her, because I've been promising her I was going to do it, and I just haven't had a chance to do it. So now I've kind of accomplished all I need to this year, so I can maybe concentrate on her a little bit, you know. So Yeah. Well, it sounds real good. Well, Rocky, we can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Uh, we appreciate you answering those questions and taking us through your week at Bristol and and just super happy for you and proud of you. It was an awesome week. But uh, unfortunately for you, that doesn't quite wrap us up. We have a little um, addendum to the interviews that we call rapid fire. And Luke and I are going to ask you five quick questions and you just give us first thing that pops into your head. You think you're up for that? I hope so. I do, too, because we're doing it, whether you are or not. So I <laughs> just want to make sure you're up for it. <laughs> All right, Rocky, I, you might have already told us this in the interview, but what is your dream car? Maybe uh, like a 91 Dodge Daytona that weighs about 2,000 pounds of me in it with my <laughs> drivetrain in it. You know, <laughs> that's not what I expected to hear. Great answer. <laughs> Rocky, uh, you, you and your buddy, Verdi, you, uh, you guys tend to do things in, in twos. So I, I got to ask, he makes an annual pilgrimage way out West each spring is a trip to Las Vegas in the works for Rocky Pinto Valley. I would love to do it. I just, um, me, Trying to drive out there, you know, make that trip there and back. Uh, I just, uh, you know, my body does not like riding in the car that long. <laughs> I got some some arthritis and stuff, and uh, I tell you, I um, about the only way I could do that is if somehow the car got out there and I fly out there, you know. But um, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll still have that two car trailer and he'll take it out there for me. You know, we'll we'll now see. You know. You. But um, oh. seed has been you know, planted. I, I feel like if that happens, like I feel like we played a role in this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hint, hint. Well, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> don't don't think I hadn't thought about it, but I just you know I'd hate to ask that. You know, <laughs> I know he doesn't like it <laughs> towing two cars out there. You know, but um, yeah, uh, he'll be fine. But anyway, got plenty of time on his hands. Rocky, what's your favorite track? Oh. Uh, Bristol Dragway. <laughs> really? <laughs> I had a feeling that might end up there, yeah. All right, Rocky. First thing that you do each morning? Drink coffee. Thought that could be the case. <laughs> All right, Rocky, last one. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? Probably Sicily. That's where my my um, grandfather came from. So yeah, I had a know. feeling that could be the case with Penta Valley last name. Yep. Awesome. Well, Rocky, 
thanks again, man. Congrats on a, a, a dream week in Bristol. It, it's one that those of us that haven't done something like that only dream about. You made it happen, made it a reality. Enjoy it, bask in it, and, and just really happy for you, man. Congrats on a on an awesome, awesome performance. Yeah, well, you don't know how much it means. I tell you all that everybody's comments and, you know, you know, they're, <laughs> I mean, it's just been great, you know, and um, I can't say enough about these events. You know, I mean, they're just, they're something real special. So, uh, and you can bet I'm going to try to be at every one of them. So I awesome. really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for spending some time with us tonight, man, and uh, just have a great one. Good luck next time out. All right. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. All right. Jed and I are both proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE uh, here within the podcast. Neither of us are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. That is 20 years ago. Yes, I am getting old. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for essentially my entire adult life. My point is that they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on as well. Whether it's a complete top dragster or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter built to your specific specifications, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. You can shop online at BTE Racing. In addition to our friends at BTE, this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is also brought to you by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. And the question that I asked myself this week is one that I get asked a lot. Like, why should I join This Is Bracket Racing Elite and become a member? And I'll just share a little bit of my personal experience. I am a member of a couple of different membership communities, mostly business-based. I also just recently got engaged in a mentorship where I am mentoring under uh, or learning under uh, a mentor. It's very costly, but I, I see a benefit in it. Also, my wife and I just recently went to a couples conference. Actually, just did that last weekend. And in from each of those experiences, I derive some benefit from the the teaching, quote unquote, and the and the teachers. I hope that within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, Kevin Brandon and myself provide that aspect of it to our members. I also feel like I benefit from the community aspect, being surrounded by people with similar goals and similar desires and being able to uh, share the journey with them, allowing them to hold me accountable and just to bounce ideas around and ask each other questions. Like in each of these communities that I'm a part of, I learn as much from my fellow members as I do from the quote unquote leaders. And I think this is bracket racing elite is largely the same way, but more than anything, when I leave like 
the conference that we were at this weekend or I exit out of a membership community that I'm involved in, like I tend to leave like on fire. You know what I mean? Like just excited. They spur thought, ideas. Um, they give me motivation. They make me want to be, and in the case of the communities that I'm involved in, they leave. I leave wanting to be a better man, a better businessman, a better father, a better husband. So on a much smaller level, uh, the Cis Bracket Racing Elite can do the same. If you want to become a better racer, it's the place to be. We provide the tools, the instructions, the community, and the motivation to help you become a better racer. You can learn more at thisisbracketracing.com. All right, so Luke, we want to talk some race results from a huge week of racing, and we'll start it off at the Sparko Fall Fling at Bristol Dragway, which is where I was. So I'll uh, take the lead on talking about the results there as I saw them firsthand. As always, the guys start out Tuesday with a test and tune, let everybody get their their time trials, get their runs, get used to things. But they also have a dragster shootout where the finalists get to pick the winner picks chassis between American chassis and a race tech chassis and the runner up gets uh, what is left and which so there's no loser in that between those two great chassis builders Thomas Bale got the win started his week off big time with uh, the win over Corey Galetti Thomas chose the American chassis which you are very familiar with especially considering your current location and Corey Galetti the red hot Corey Gulitti, 17 year old young man, got the Race Tech chassis. So that was a really good start for those guys. And um, yeah, that- pretty impressive. What four or five day stretch for young Corey Gulitti? Uh, we yeah. talked last week on uh, I believe it was Friday up at Dragway 42, won a 20 grander and a 10 grander, and then again four or five days later, runner up in a dragster race that is going to hurt no one's feelings to run her up because winner and runner up get their dragster pretty good stretch for the 17 year old yeah not bad at all and uh that took us right into wednesday's fifteen thousand dollar to win warm-up race and that was yukon gear and axle wednesday and the aforementioned rocky pinta valley got the win over chris cadle start rocky's amazing week in bristol chris cadle also having a really good year there, but uh, Rocky come out on top. Thursday, we had Race Pack's $20,000 to win race, where Jeff Burns, the slushy master, got the win over Jeff Sarah. Jeff Sarah having a red-hot 12-14 month stretch himself, and old Burnsy taking it to the final round, that 430 dragster, and getting a big win. He... Uh, Burns, he cracked me at nine. He made me, I think, three uh, virgin slushies during the day. <laughs> and he, he, now that's, me. he would bring the virgin slushies down for Gary. That's yeah. same, same, same slushie. Okay. He you brought me the on first the one. Right. He brought me the first one early in the day. And he said, um, you know, enjoy this one because I'm about to put the gas to it. And uh, then he brought me another one. I said, Bertie, you know, I don't. He said, no, I haven't put the gas to it yet. He said, I'm, I'm holding off. <laughs> Till I get beat. And then he brought me a third one. He said, still no gas because I ain't got beat yet. And then so he, he didn't put the gas to it till very late Thursday night. Great to see Burns get the win. Just one of the really good guys in racing. Well, as excited as I'm sure everyone in the pit area was to watch Jeff Burns win that 20 grander. 
there was probably a little bit of disappointment throughout the pits each time that his wind light came on, if that was the case. Very much so. Very well said. And a good point that I should have made, because once it was over, everybody that was hanging out had a styrofoam cup with a <laughs> Jeff Burns straw in it. And I mean, it must have been a hundred of them. So, yeah, everybody was happy to see him win, but they were happier to see it over with. Burnsy, uh, I, I made this comment, what was it, a month or two ago when uh, when Kyle Seipel was uh, in the final of the, the 150 race up at New Media. Like, it just doesn't seem fair at times that the people that have all the fun also win. Like, it should be one or the other, right? You either, yeah. you either have all the fun or you win races. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Jeff Burns had his cake and eats it, too. Eats it every week. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, that was not all that happened Thursday. Look, they had the Hoosier 32 car door car shootout where they allow as many people as wants to in a door car to sign up. They random draw 32 of those to pay the entry and race for $10,000. And Tracy Guffey was one of the ones selected, and he ended up as the winner over young Garrett Griffith. Garrett was there 16 years old in his first fall fling. Also runs junior dragsters, of course. But Garrett uh, performing big time on the big stage and getting him a runner-up finish to one of the the best out there, especially in a door car, in Tracy Guffey. So that wrapped us up Thursday. Uh, Friday's ATI uh, 50K was uh, started out with the uh, very innovative and never duplicated uh, reaction time challenge, fall fling reaction time challenge where the guys allow they random draw 25 cars to come out if anybody's double o they get 100 if they're triple o they get 1000 with the opportunity to come back and do it again if they're triple o they get 10000 there were several 100 dollar winners but bob kalibsky won 1000 dollars to start the morning out with a perfect reaction time got to come back and take a shot at it to be triple o again and just missed it with a double o 2 on the green side so good big Good start for Bob Kalibsky. A lot of fun to get things started. Then we got serious for $50,000. And as you've already heard, when we get serious, Rocky Penta Valley just gets after everybody as he busted me again at nine, back-to-back nine car finishes for me to the winner, no less. And he got the win over Wes Siegel. Wes, a young racer from New Jersey that uh, put his name out there for everybody to see the talent that he possesses. With that runner-up finish, it was great, uh, great time in the winter circle with both of those guys. And Rocky yeah. cemented his name onto the uh, Todd's MVP trophy. Yeah, we've we've talked with Rocky. We've talked a lot about Rocky. Obviously, what he did over the weekend, incredible. But uh, how about some shouts for Wes Siegel? That's a guy that has quietly had a really impressive season. Uh, we've mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast. believe he won one of the 10 granders at New Media, and he was in a big final earlier this year. I'm going to mistake on where, maybe Galat? One of those big races on the East Coast was in a, again, $10,000, $20,000 race final. So that's at least three big finals that I'm aware of um, in 2018 alone for Wes Siegel. Yeah, I know we've mentioned Wes's name quite a bit here uh, this year, this race season on the podcast. So, yes, having a phenomenal year and really had all the tools. I know I saw him where he would go like 487 or whatever um, when he wasn't on the hose. And he dialed it down as fast as an 82, I think, one time and let his opponent get close and 
hosed it really good to go dead on. So had all the tools, had all the knew how to play the game, and just drove really well. But couldn't get by Rocky uh, Pinta Valley there in the final, as Rocky was just again on a, a dream run. Wrapped it up, Luke, on Saturday with the Jegs 20K. And a guy that had a tough break last year in the 50K final to Troy Williams Jr., where he could not make the call, was Jeremy York. In his door truck last year, the house mouse uh, hurt the motor, I think, in the semis and couldn't make the call in the final. But got revenge, redemption, whatever you want to call it, with a Saturday $20,000 win in his dragster over Neon Leon Robertson as uh, Neon putting his name on uh, the runner-up trophy or runner-up check there on Saturday's 20K. And I don't know if you got to see the interview with Neon Leon, but it was about as fun one as I've been a part of. Uh, (laughs) Very excited and uh, animated and, uh, you know, had had a few choice phrases. So it was a really good time, (laughs) really good time. Big Lee, cue the, we need a PJ North drop. Neon, Leon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's him. But uh, we all know, you and I know, Neon has uh, won more than a racer's share over the years. But good to see him out on a big stage performing so well. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so we, uh, we've we had our BTE, Who's Hot? That's That was a no-brainer, Rocky Pentavalli. We've talked a good bit about the fall fling, and it was at the top of everybody's mind. But I don't think, Big Jed, as it pertains to the weekend, that it quite qualifies for what everyone was talking about. No, it's, man, I tell you, that was a hot topic. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! All right, Luke, what everyone is talking about is uh, obviously the hottest subject. Rocky Pinta Valley is a very hot subject, but man, this is getting a lot of traction right now, as it should. It's a very important topic, and it's, um, again, one of those things that you just wonder how and why it happened the way it happened. But things got a little slippery in St. Louis. Tommy Phillips and Cole Cummings roll out for round three of Super Comp. First pair out, I believe, behind Funny Car. And my goodness, that track did not look prepared for guys to be running, especially at that kind of speed. Yeah, if if you haven't seen the video, I don't know how you haven't seen the video, to be completely honest. It, it's all over social media. Like, it's a scary scene, without question. Um, yes, uh, particularly in, in Tommy's lane. Uh, as you mentioned, Big Jed, uh, trying to uh, unpack what happened here. Like you said, they, they were the first pair out behind a, a fuel session, funny car, I believe. But like you watched that run, and I don't know because like I've never gone street outlaws on it with my dragster, but I think my dragster would go down the road in front of my house better than Tommy Phillips <laughs> went down that racetrack. Like I don't think you could have a – I guess what I'm getting at is – I don't think that that's like a lack of track prep. Like there almost had to be something on the racetrack. It was awful and extremely scary. And keep in mind too, like this was a new combo for Tommy. Like he's been fast for several years, but this was a new combination, a nine degree deal. I believe he was going 890 at like 191. So a very fast super comp car. But Mm. if you watch the video, like there is no, like a top fuel car shouldn't look like that. Right. Sure. Um, I've heard a lot of, I'm going to try to come at this 
with as much perspective as I can. I've heard a lot of a talk lately about track prep or, or lack thereof at national events. And to be honest, I've heard that for years and I've largely blocked it out because for the better part of the last decade, I've run a lot of national events. And I can honestly, Jed, I can count on one hand the number of times that I didn't think the track was good. And I'm not talking about the times I thought the track was unsafe. Like, I don't know that I've ever felt like I got sent down an unsafe racetrack at a national event. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking like the track wasn't spectacular. So in short, like I always thought that that chatter, that the track's awful at national events, like I thought it was always blown way out of proportion. And I've heard a lot of it recently, but I've tended to discount it for the same reason. And the fact is for me personally, like, I haven't raced much this year. I've been to, what, two national events all season. And at both of those, the track was fine. It was great, right? So I really can't speak personally to whether or not there is validity to the current complaints. Like, I will say, obviously, in this specific instance, it's fairly obvious that the track was somewhere between less than desirable and awful. Like, this was scary. And Tommy is obviously one of the most experienced drivers and he's in one of the best prepared cars in that class. And there's no super comp car that should look like that. Right. Although I do think it's funny, Jed, like, did you get uh, particularly on, on the video, like all of these posts, Tommy did a great job of saving it, man. That was an excellent driving job. (laughs) That's not not kid anybody here. Right. Like Tommy was for the most part along for the ride and he'll be, I would assume I haven't gotten to talk to him, but I'll assume that he'll be the first to admit, like, it obviously got loose and he gave up. And then I would assume that Cole got a little bit loose, too. And just the, the racer's instinct in us is to stand yep. back on the throttle. And that's when he should have crashed. And that was a really poor decision to stand back on the throttle. So let's let's just get away from this this narrative of, well, great job, Tommy. Like, no, he, he almost crashed on his own, right? Uh, I I don't think he would be one to say, yeah, I did a great job. He'd probably come back and say, that was really dumb. You know what I mean? So let's let's step away from that a little bit. But on this specific run, the the track was obviously not good. And probably, I I guess, hard to argue with the idea that it was unsafe. Okay, so NHRA messed up. I don't know what happened. I don't know how. But specific to that one pairing in one round of Super Comp, NHRA quite obviously made a mistake and that part of my opinion here i don't think can be unpopular like i don't i don't think it could be disputed here's the part of my opinion that may very well be unpopular i think that obviously nhra made a mistake here i would contend that they then compounded that mistake by issuing an to my knowledge unprecedented rerun for that pair of that round. Tommy Phillips and Cole Cummings came back around. Now, thankfully, they both had cars to bring back to the starting line, but they ran that round. And for as long as I've known, been aware of any of this, NHRA has always taken the stance of more or less, like I'm paraphrasing, but it is what it is. Like you staged, you race down the racetrack that's in front of you. And as I've said before, Jed, no sanctioning body or racetrack or promoter is required by any means to provide us as racers with a perfect racetrack. And I'll still stand by the contention that nobody's trying to send us down an unsafe racetrack. But bleep happens, right? Mistakes happen. Um, I've gone down less than stellar racetracks, as I said before, at national events. 
I've also go down, gone down less than stellar racetracks at big dollar bracket races and at local events. Like this is part of our sport and it is not completely unique to an HRA competition. It's unfortunate when track conditions cost you around and it's obviously way more unfortunate when track conditions cost somebody a race car or injury but that's part of the deal like it's in some part what we sign up for like we've got to figure out a way to get down that racetrack not only when it's perfect but also figure out a way to get down that racetrack or have the sense to realize that we cannot get down that racetrack when it's not perfect i have zero issue with that Neither does Tommy Phillips. Like I said, I haven't spoken to Tommy um, directly, but what I have gathered from this situation, like this isn't something where Tommy went up to the tower and raised hell and got a rerun and stated like they were told that they would rerun as soon as they got back to the trailer from that round. Yep. Um, Like it came from the top. I would guarantee that Tommy was coming back from that run upset, but completely prepared to load his race car thankfully it was it wasn't damaged and he was able to load it up completely prepared to load it and race another day like that's the deal he has been there before i know because i watched him and sean langdon run an early morning round at indy years ago in Supergas, where they both almost hit everything on the racetrack and tommy gave up before sean did and sean went like 11 flat for the win and that yeah. wasn't re-run. it wasn't discussed you know what i mean tommy loaded his car up went home so, like I say, the call came down from the top, like almost immediately, rerun, and they reran. And on the rerun, Tommy went red. So the outcome was unchanged. Like Cole wins either way, right? But I'm just here to say that, in my opinion, NHRA not only made a mistake in terms of, of track prep and or sending a pair of cars down a racetrack that was probably unsafe – they compounded that mistake in my mind by rerunning this round. Uh, On one hand, you could look at this and say they admitted fault, which most of us would see as a positive and and absolute rarity from NHRA, right? So like we think, well, that's good. At least they admitted, hey, something's wrong. And to that point, I, I can see that. However, issuing a rerun here in my mind, sets a dangerous precedent. Like, was the track awesome for the pairs behind Tommy and Cole? What about rounds earlier in the day? I mean, obviously there was nothing that dramatic, but I'm sure that at some point the condition of the racetrack played a role in the outcome of several rounds throughout the competition. Um, I'm told it wasn't great all weekend, basically. And again, that's, that's just what I'm hearing. I wasn't there. So... In some sense, like track conditions almost certainly affected the outcome of multiple rounds of competition. And guess what? Like track conditions affect the outcome of multiple rounds of competition at just about every event along the tour and just about every event bracket race across the country. Like the decision to rerun any round based upon that variable. And again, in this instance, like the track was awful, but making that decision is completely discretionary it's a mistake in my opinion it opens a can of worms because who's to say that track conditions didn't cost someone else somewhere along the line and where do you draw that line who gets to make that decision you can't sit in the tower or stand at the finish line or watch a video even and have any idea what it feels like inside that car if that track feels good bad whatever like the issue that i have with this is if you're going to try to make these decisions it's not much different in my mind than trying to police like an excessive braking policy we talked about this when jerry emmons got disqualified early last season it's selective prosecution 
or in this case, selective beneficiaries. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't make that call with any type of firm data. Like it's a gut decision. And that is just way too discretionary to be playing with the outcome of races. So the problem with it is it sets a precedent. Like where do you draw the line? At the next national event, somebody come to the tower with time slip and say, hey, I lost 360 foot. My car doesn't do that. I need a rerun. And how do you tell them no? You know, yeah. I, I realize, and keep in mind, I, I don't desire to be in the, the race director's shoes at all. Like, that's a very undesirable job. It makes tough decisions throughout. But I just don't, getting into the business of trying to make calls like this, as much as it may even seem right, like this is not a good position to be in if you're an HRA. Like I, I, I just strongly disagree with it. You can't do this. If, if Tommy comes to the race director, and it's my understanding again that he did not, but if he came to the tower and asked for an explanation, as hard as it is to say, if you're the race director in that spot, what you say is, Tommy, look, we made a mistake, and the track was awful. It was unsafe. I'm so glad that it didn't cost you your race car and or you didn't get hurt. If it had, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight. We messed up. I'm sorry. But with that said, the race stands. Unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do about it. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I hope you understand that. That's a tough pill to swallow, but that is the only way that you handle that. Like that's that's how it gets handled, in my opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Luke. Uh, again, as you talked about, it's unprecedented because these things have happened, maybe not to that level, and it's happened to that level. I mean, they've actually haven't gotten as fortunate as Tommy and Cole, and there's been several wadded up over the years. So what do you do there? What would have happened had one or both of them wadded them up? So you have to let it stand on its own as it happened. I saw Cole Cummings post on Facebook today, and he basically said the exact same thing you said. They were immediately told that there's going to be a rerun. They wasn't the winner wasn't asked, "Will you rerun it?" Um, the 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 non-winner wasn't asked, "Do you want to rerun it?" Or he didn't fuss about it. Immediately they realized they failed the racers. And told them to come back and rerun uh, based on what I read from Cole and those guys accepted it. Didn't really understand it or had never seen it before, but they accepted it, come back. And obviously, as you mentioned uh, in your discussion, that got the same result. So I guess it worked out the way it was supposed to. But I w- would agree with you that was uh, a mistake on their part to um, to rerun that race. That was obviously the lead story. There was a lot of actual results, winners, points, implications, shakeups that happened at St. Louis as well. The first that jumped out to me, Big Jed, and you kind of called this. We talked about this a month or two ago. Uh, and at the time, I think David Rampey was at win number 97. I asked you, does he get to 100 this year? And you said he gets to 100 this year. Rambo's getting there. He knocked down number 99 with the competition eliminator win at Gateway. So he is one win away, Big Jed. How excited are you for your fellow Alabamian? I'm very, very, very excited for Rambo because uh, for, for some reason, obviously he's gotten a ton of credit over the years for what he's accomplished, but for some reason that 100 seems to be looming out there as the next big accomplishment for him, although 99 is a monster accomplishment. So I want him to get 100, get it behind him so people quit talking about it. He can stay focused on what he needs to do. I parked right by 
the winningest sportsman driver in NHRA history this weekend at Bristol and Dan Fletcher. And uh, great to see Rambo about to uh, get that 100 mark that that, uh, Fletcher got last year. So that'll be behind him. He can concentrate on winning championships like he does. Super gas at St. Louis. This one's a fun story. Winner was a man by the name of Tim Nicholson. We've discussed Tim's super gas exploits on the podcast before. He did finish top 10 in the world last season. He was part of Team Luke for that top 10 finish. Tim Nicholson got the super gas win in St. Louis. I believe it was his first super gas national event win. He's got one or two in super stock as well. But for those not familiar with Tim Nicholson's super gas setup, This is an early model Camaro back half car with a small block. Okay. That's fairly unique in and of itself for super gas. Yep. It's got a clutch and a Linko. What's that? And that's right. That's right. I didn't stutter. And it's got a uh, top end throttle stop that allows him to run the 990 index after banging through the gears at (laughs) speeds of roughly 100 to 105 miles per hour. Again, just for reference, the average super gas speed is somewhere in the 155 to 160 range with the fastest cars going in excess of 170 miles an hour. Tim Nicholson getting it done, doing it, quote unquote, the hard way. Man, Luke, a clutch, a top end stop, and a small block. Is is there another super gas car in the country that that mirrors this setup? Not that combination. No. no. I mean, like you could probably count on two hands the number of super gas cars in the country that have a clutch pedal. And he's winning. And then yeah. And he's and he's winning. And obviously doing it with some degree of regularity. He does have a single digit on the car for this season. Now, I don't know, Big Jed, like it would not be fair for this podcast to claim 2018 as the year of anything, right? I mean, we don't we don't do that. No, of course not. But between Tim Nicholson and Chris Garrettson, I I mean, I'm very tempted to say it's the year of the top end throttle stop. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's it's the year the coast through. Yeah, two of the five guys in the country that are running them are, are winning. So, yeah, I would say it is the year of the top end stop. There might be something to it. Um, a little flashback, a little Tim Nicholson story. This is This has got to be close to 20 years ago, Big Jed, because I still lived in Texas. And my father and I went to somewhere. I think we went to Joliet, actually, for the national event. This is probably like 99. And I lost early, and we're on our way home, and I'm just typical, uh, what, the, what would that be, 18-year-old at the time. I'm thumbing through American Drag News trying to figure out where we can stop and race on the way home. And we end up at Mid-America Dragway in Arkansas City, Kansas. And I believe, I think I won like the Quick 16 race and was going to the final of Super Pro. So I hear I am. I've rolled through all of them. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and double up. And waiting in the final of Super Pro is this green back half Camaro that sits too high that has three pedals that I've heard the guy banging gears all day. And I'm like, there is no way I ain't lost to nobody all day. I ain't about to lose to this knucklehead letting go of a clutch in super pro in the final round. I didn't double up that day. Big Jed, that man in the other lane was Tim Nicholson. I don't remember the numbers. It's almost 20 years ago, but I'm pretty confident in saying that he laid me down less than 20 total. And in 1999, less than 20 total was pretty darn good. And I didn't get under it. Tim Nicholson has been doing that 
what he's doing right now in that same car for a lot, a lot and he has been really good at it for a long, long time. Really cool. The, uh, uh, that that was uh, less than 20 then is the new less than 10 now, just for those uh, young listeners that's out there. I, that's fair. <laughs> that's very fair. Uh, Tim Nicholson winning Supergas is obviously the story. Big picture, national points chase-wise, the big round in St. Louis happened in round two. First pair out round two, Devin Eisenhower, incoming points leader uh, at the last national event, the last race at which he could improve his score this season. He was paired up with Ray Sawyer. Ray coming off the win at Maple Grove, very much a championship contender. They go mano a mano in round two. It's actually kind of an ugly round. They're like 20 to 30 and 96 to 97, both real slow, but Sawyer gets the win. That's good on him, obviously. It keeps Devin from earning any more points. His season's done at 622. But then Ray Sawyer came back and lost the next round and actually was improving a third-round loss, so he didn't gain any points at all, but again, kept Devin from extending that lead. Devin's done. Again, 622 points. Sawyer has two races remaining, and to, to surpass Devin without getting into the finer points and details, essentially... He's got to win one of the two, right? And basically the same scenario for Aaron Kennard out West. He's got one divisional, one national. He's really, it's the, for his score, it's really going to come down to what he does at the last national. At the national, if he wins round five, he would take the lead over Devin Eisenhower. Again, some combination of a real deep finish at both the national and the divisional could also get Kennard there. There are a handful of others that still have a shot and several that still have a, a mathematical shot. But really for it to be anybody outside of those three would take a pretty monumental effort, like back-to-back wins or three finals out of four races. It, it would take something really impressive. So it looks as though it will be one of those three. Eisenhower in the best position right now, but that's easy for me to say. I'm not the one that has to sit, hit, and refresh on the computer every five seconds for the next six weeks. And that's probably what Devin Eisenhower will be doing. <laughs> Luke, you're really good at those breakdowns. Uh, man, that's, that was good information. And I, I'm, I mean that in serious. I think you probably thought I was picking at you, but no, I'm serious. That was an excellent breakdown on that. Sometimes, uh, I don't have any idea what's going on, and you just clear it all up for me. So, well done. But uh, what about Rick Hughes' win in Supercomp? I'm sure that was interesting to you. We had to get this in just because Rick Hughes, one of the one of the good guys in the sport, fun guy to talk to. Rick, you our, our loyal, dedicated listeners may remember that the one and only time we've done a bad beat segment on the show. Rick was the unfortunate beneficiary of the bad beat. He laid down like 14 total against Gary Stinnett at eight cars left at the U.S. Nationals after not going on a racetrack for a day. And Stinnett gave him back like five of that and change. So that was a rough beat. Rick was knocking on the door at Indy, again, down to eight cars. He finished the job at St. Louis. That was his first national event win. Good on Rick. I talked a little bit last week, Big Jed, when I, when I closed the show on my own about the impending bump in the top dragster category at St. Louis and how nuts it was going to get. There was 40 entries. It's in Division Three. Everybody's fast. It's going to be awesome. What a letdown, Jed. They only got one session in. There's a little bit of weather. I think there was a, a bad ProMod crash that went through the net. They had to fix the net. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of things went together. They, had, they only got one run. And in just one session, the bump was still 637-1. This would have undoubtedly been deep into the 20s had they got two runs, maybe 
maybe tickle in the teens if they'd got all three. There was some fast cars that didn't make the show, namely Mike Coughlin, Darian Bosch, who was in contention potentially to make a run at the world championship on the one run didn't get in rusty baxter madison ellison jim prevo dan phelps zach fisher all of those cars are capable of running much quicker than that 637 bump all had an issue on the one and only time only qualifying session and weren't able to get in the show again they have more than one this would have gotten crazy and i just i don't know like I don't know. It's so easy to, to bash NHRA, so I usually refrain from it. Like, that's that's everybody's go-to. And I got on them earlier for, for rushing. You know what I mean? For track prep or sending cars down be, without doing the appropriate track prep because they're trying to get the show done, whatever. So how then can I come back and bash them for trying to condense the schedule? You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I can't get on them for rushing and, and, and tell them that they should get everything in at the same time. Uh, and again, I'm I'm not often critical NHRA. I wasn't there, but man, this was so disappointing because it just seems like there had to have been a better option. There was so much buzz about this top dragster field. Like it was a very unique opportunity to showcase a sportsman class with an incredible storyline to get average spectators interested and excited about a sportsman category and it's just squandered it was left to the wayside my understanding like it's it's 40 cars right so 20 pairs what's that take up a half hour of the schedule you couldn't get that in somewhere uh, and the weather yeah. as to my understanding at that point was awesome for saturday and sunday like it, it, it just has been so cool to see one more session to get that bump into record territory to have 32 cars in the 620 range and quicker it, I don't know. I just think it's a missed opportunity for an HRA. Yeah, they they could have ran till eight thirty one night instead of quitting at eight or something. Probably got that done. So that that was disappointing, I'm sure, especially to the people that that fought hard to be there and took all that time off of their daily lives. So, Luke, I know you saw Greg Stanfield got the super stock win. Drew Skillman got the stock win. And when you think about Rambo winning comp, apparently. And they probably didn't announce this ahead of time to the crowd, or it would have been very small. You had to have been a former pro stock driver to win in St. Louis, because all of those guys are former high performers in the pro stock category. Well, some of them still do, obviously. I actually got the memo pre-race. That's why I didn't go to St. Louis. <laughs> like, oh, I've never driven a pro stocker. I can't win there. I'll just go somewhere else. Stanfield's win came at the expense, Big Jed, of Brad Zaskowski. Zasko, you know what, what that could possibly mean, Big Jed? Like, I may have to do a lot of eating crow at some point here. Because oh. I've said for months that there ain't nobody, not named Justin Lamb or Anthony Bertozzi, that's going to win the NHRA Superstock World Championship. We've been over Justin's plight, okay? Justin struggled a little bit here down the stretch. Anthony hadn't put this thing out of reach. And here comes Zasko with that runner-up, Brad Zaskowski, number two in the world, just three points behind Justin Lamb. Each of them, the three of them, Justin, Bertozzi, Zaskowski, they all have two divisional events remaining. They're improving similar scores. It'll be interesting to see who gets this done. It'll be interesting to see where they're going. Uh, I believe there's only seven divisional events on the schedule. When we get into what's on tap, we'll talk about several of them coming up this weekend. I'm interested to see where these guys end up, if they potentially go head-to-head, and who ends up coming out on top of this. Because right now, it's 
every bit of a three horse race and none of these guys have put it far enough out of reach that there couldn't be another racer to get hot and get into the mix will be fun to watch yes no doubt about it and um glenn butcher got the top sportsman win that's his first national i believe yeah i was shocked to read that it is glenn's first national event win good on glenn and I guess like top sportsman's only been a national event category for, well, it's been a, a national championship category now for four years. The front at national events a little bit longer than that. I, I was shocked to see that Glenn Butcher had not won a national event. I just assumed that he had several of those trophies on his mantle. He's one of the more prolific top sportsman racers of the last decade, but this was his first. So good on him. Jennifer White got the win in top dragster. I figured we better mention every sportsman category because I think we talked about every other one of note to me from top sportsman, particularly J.R. Loebner, not in attendance. He was entered at one point. He withdrew. Probably a good call. The bump ended up being 690 in Top Sportsman. J.R. typically leaves that thing in bracket mode, goes like 740s, 750s. I know he had a nitrous kit plumbed up on there to get after it, but that's a pretty tall order to pick up half a second plus to get into the field. Plus, I would imagine weighing on his mind a little bit. The Great Bend double divisional is this weekend. That's two opportunities to earn points. The last thing you want to go is St. Louis, spray the house down, hurt a piston, something like that, with that Great Bend looming the next weekend. So with all that said, probably a good call for our buddy JR, but it's a long way from Kansas to Charlotte, Big Jed, and that's where he's going to have to go to make that up. Yeah, good call, but I'm sure extremely difficult uh, as that's in the heart of the the Midwest and him um, – Having one of his closer races there and, and having to to get out of it was probably a very difficult call for him, but obviously it, it was probably for the best. So uh, I uh, hear Charlotte's beautiful this time of year, so that'll be a fun trip. Yeah, maybe I get to find out. So, Luke, more Summit uh, team finals happened over the weekend. Uh, briefly touch on that at Keystone Raceway Park, the IHRA Division Three Summit finals were held where uh, Dragway 42 got the win, the overall track win, and the team captain's race there. Their man, Gary Harper, got the win over Thompson Dragway's Tim Goodman. A street category, this would be a top 10 name. Oh, my gosh, I've never seen this before, but I love it. Jeff Freifogel, and he got the win. He's from Quaker City, got the win over Steve Klatchik. Man, that's rough. That was a rough name final right there that would have been tough on me junior category was john bergotes got the win of landon seal how about our man pdd pete diagnolo with a win over ryan ricketson in the mod category pete just gets it done don't he he doesn't that matter. guy does not suck all he does is win 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 bike category was matt powell over rick pool uh, in the top category, whoa, Billy Leisure. Whoa, whoa. You, you, can't, you can't just slide over that. Matt Powell won this motorcycle category. Oh, my goodness. I just On saw a motorcycle that. that doesn't have a motor. Electric. It's, a, it's an electric cycle. Electric motorcycle for Matt Powell. Wow, I just saw that in the notes. I did skip right past that. My apologies. That's uh, yep. you don't I see that see every day. footage of that. So uh, Billy Leisure, the Leisure family, uh, miss those guys. They used to come to Bristol, but obviously conflicting with uh, having their bracket finals so close to home. But Billy got the win. Great to see that over Joe Sousick. Did I get that right? Close enough. 
I'll uh, roll with yeah. <laughs> no, no, no box category was Nikki Thomas. She has been on fire up that way. So great to see Nikki making the move from Florida up there to to be around Nick Bauman. Uh, pay off for her. Great job by Nikki with the Race of Champions no box win over Ray Babb. Race of Champions junior winner was Kyle Hughes over Aiden Mackert. And the Race of Champions street category was won by Joe Tharp over Bob Randolph. And the Race of Champions bike category was won by Dave Carpenter over Perry Paul. Perry was deep staged on a turbo bike. Yeah, it was deep staged dial 512 with a turbo Luke. And got Wait, the runner up in the bike. So electric bike but- one and one. And <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. But, but, but he's dialed 512 on yep. a motorcycle. That in itself, impressive. With a turbo, and he's he's deep staged. <laughs> the turbo don't think, spool up. Well, look, I mean, I, I my impression of a motorcycle is like the pro stock motorcycles always had a hard time going red. Like they get on out of the beams pretty quick. So I guess it would be my assumption that Perry Pa has a slot car spot, <laughs> so that he can just go deep with his five twelve motorcycle, meet the green on. Uh, yeah, I and mean, hey, more—it's obviously working. He's in the final of the race of champions, but that's not something you see every day. No, you do not. And the race of champions junior race was won by Candace Sausick. Got the win over Blake Molner to wrap up the IHRA Division Three Summit Finals at Keystone Raceway Park. So congratulations to all those IHRA champions, and good luck to those that will be making their way to the World Finals. NHRA, Luke, had the Division One Summit ET Finals at Legendary Atco Dragway, where the home team uh, held firm and won the overall points championship. Team Atco with a win there. Uh, Super Pro Race of Champions there had Ray Knight over Roger Lewis. The Pro Race of Champions was Nelson Balot over Rich Pennington. No relation. Sportsman Race of Champions. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> no relation and certainly does not – Rich Pennington certainly don't fit me either, so that's not has anything to do with me. Uh, Sportsman Race of Champions was Jonathan Gagnon over Ray Williams, Jr., the motorcycle race of champions, no electrics, no turbos, I don't guess, was Aaron Vitterini over Austin Yount. Man, these northern names, tough on me. Now, over in the main event, the super pro champion was Shane Beck over Jim Larrow. Shout out, pro, buddy love. Pro, pro main event winner was uh, Matt Richeza over Chris Cassidy, a sportsman Main event winner was Faith Warner over Jonathan Northrup. Motorcycle category in the main event was Don Hookway over Barry Stevens Sr. And the high school winner was Steve Dustin III over Josephine Mallow. I'm sure related to Ken Mallow. Uh, Very, very tough bottom bulber from up in that part of the country. So congratulations to the NHRA Division One Summit ET Finals champions, and uh, good luck to those making their way out to Pomona for their World Finals. Yeah, it looks like the Division One roster is set, and those racers have some logistics to figure out. It can't be too far from Atco to Pomona. Oh, my gosh. Was it 28, 2,900 miles, probably? 
Uh, sure, it's a long way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a long. I mean, you it's. I mean, I'm looking at a map right now. It ain't but like ten, eleven inches. Can't be that big of a deal. <laughs> um, all right, Big Joe, we can't close off without talking about the the big announcement from the weekend. It it probably could have qualified for what everybody's talking about had Tommy Phillips not gone for that crazy ride, because this definitely has our listener base excited to say the least. Yeah, Luke, uh, Peter, and Kyle have been working on this for over 12 months. Uh, They knew year 10 was on the horizon. This was their ninth year in Bristol. Year 10 on the horizon. Emily, Peter, Kyle have been putting a lot of effort into this event and how they wanted to make it a one-time, one-time special event for the 10th year in Bristol and they announced it, the 2019 Fall Fling 500K. They unveiled a preliminary flyer and had a little uh, get-together with the racers out in front of the tower and uh, gave the rundown of how the event will work, how the pre-entry cap is going to work just like this year's Fall Fling, uh, where you find that information, um, when it'll be, when you'll be able to pre-enter. So, it was a really nice way of unveiling it. it. Had PJ North do a special song for the event, video from Kyle Luters to get the announcement out there and have people where they could just watch the video and, and see how it was going. So, very well done and absolutely huge. Yeah, I feel like while this was awesome, it was without question the world's worst kept secret. <laughs> Like, I knew about this a month ago, and it's not because, like, I heard it from Peter and Kyle. Like, I heard it from other racers. You, you, know, you know, it's been teased a little bit here and there, but, like, I heard point blank, like, Pete and Kyle are going to guarantee half a million dollars to win at Fall Fling next year. They're going to announce it at this year's Fling. So, cool job on the production of this. Bad job on the spontaneity, maybe. But the question is, Big Jed, the question I, I keep seeing a lot, is it going to work? Yes. And I think it's an obvious answer. I, I'll go out on a limb here and say not only will this race work, not only will this race sell out, I predict it sells out in less than one hour. That's right, 385 entries at, wow. what, $1,850 a piece? Less than one hour. And I'll go a step further, Big Jed. I know that they have emphasized that this is a one-time thing. I predict it will be so successful and such a hit that they have no choice but to continue this in 2020. Wow. Very interesting thought on that, Luke. Uh, I do think it's going to work wholeheartedly. Those guys put on too great of an event for people to want to miss it. This is going to be one that is going to be painful to sit and watch on Motormania TV, wishing you could be there. It's going to have the attention of everyone. It will be a very, very hot ticket, and there's no doubt in my mind it's going to work. So, that takes us into 2019, Luke, where you, you've got four races, two that will pay 250k each, and two that will pay 500k each. <laughs> I mean, if a, ra- a racer just needs to put down what 36 to 40 good runs in 2019, and they will be set for years. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it like that, Big Jed. Just, I mean, you, as Kenny Underwood would say, you only need to concentrate for 40 seconds. No, wait, that's not right. 40 runs, six seconds each, let's say, 
you need to concentrate for four minutes. Four minutes. Exactly. Four minutes. Four good minutes. <laughs> Don't split anything. $1.5 million. Four good minutes. You went in $1.5 million. Uh, on, uh, Chad, it was not long ago. What was it? Five years ago. Maybe. We got less than that. We got one opportunity each season to race for north of $200,000. It was the million-dollar race that uh, has been going on for 20-plus years now, right? Uh, a couple yes. of years in there, Rockingham had their Millennium Million. Um, but for the most part, one opportunity a year. That was up until four years ago. The last few years, there have been two opportunities a year with the Spring Fling Million involved. In 2019, four opportunities between the SFG event and Martin, Michigan, guaranteed half a million dollars to win. The Spring Fling Million now guaranteed quarter million dollars to win. The original million, the, the million dollar drag race uh, with the rotating purse, but it will end up almost certainly paying north of $250,000 to win. And now the Fall Fling guaranteed half million dollars to win. I never thought I would see purses like this in my lifetime, much no. less in 2019, much less four of them going on. I told you earlier how confident I am that this works. Like in my mind, and this is not to disparage the other promoters that are willing to put their neck on the line and do this. Like Kyle Riley's race will be successful. Obviously, Randy Folk's million has always been successful. I believe that they will that will continue. But to me, Pete and Kyle have the gold standard. Like in everything that they do, like it is an incredible production. Like they check all the boxes. They do everything right. This race will be a monumental success. And you heard my prediction earlier, 385 entries, less than an hour. That brings me to my tweet, Big Jet. I don't know if you saw this. And I granted, this this creates some some logistical issues. I'm not beyond that, right? But figure it out, guys. Make it work. My tweet was, when the fall fling fills up in less than an hour, why can't we just duplicate the entry process? Put 700 cars into Bristol. I don't even think 700 cars will fit into Bristol. Like I said, there's logistical concerns. You guys worry about that. I'm just worried about putting... This race together to guarantee a million dollars to win. I think Pete and Kyle have the following to make it happen. Let's do it. <laughs> simple as that. Let's do it. Yeah, it says you make it sound very simple. And, and if anybody can do it, those guys can. It's but, uh, simple math, Jed. If 385 cars is half a million, double it. That's a million. How hard could it be? That is very simple math. Yeah. And it should work out perfect. So look forward to that in uh, 2020. But 2019 is uh, going to be 500K again. Epic, epic event on tap. It's going to be amazing. Can't wait to be a part of it. And just looking forward to seeing whomever gets to celebrate and put their name on the check. It's going to be great. Uh, that's what's on tap for 2019. Let's rein this in a little bit. Concentrate on this coming weekend. What's on tap for the first weekend of October? next week it's time to discuss next week's major events news updates releases and announcements it's what's on tap huntsville dragway in huntsville alabama where i'll be uh, on the risky business tech card racing for 10k each day actually and you know, check that out huntsville dragway on facebook you can see how that works come join us 
The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular Luke is at Memphis International Raceway in uh, Millington, Tennessee. Looking, uh, I think weather's looking pretty good up in that area. So, hoping that uh, the IHRA has a great Sportsman Spectacular there at Memphis. The Division One IHRA Summit Team Finals will be held at MIR and the North Maryland International Raceway, Bud's Creek, Maryland. The Division Four IHRA Summit Team Finals are at the beautiful Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas, new facility down there. Uh, NHRA's Division Two Lucas Oil Event, which is a very popular one at Silver Dollar Raceway in Reynolds, Georgia. That's always a great event down there. Uh, IHRA Division Five Lucas Oil Event at uh, SRCA Drag Strip in Great Bend, Kansas. Um, only there's only seven of those Lucas Oil events left on the schedule, Luke, and three of those are this weekend. So uh, yeah, those, that's, those points that's, chases are tightening up. That's going to go a long way to determining national champions in all categories. And I'm just excited. Like I keep up with a obviously I keep up with this way closer than any rational human being would. I'm really curious to see where some of these competitors end up going for their last divisional and nationals, because a lot of the racers that are in contention are in geographic areas that aren't particularly conducive to making the, the races remaining on their ledger ledgers. Um, so I'm interested to see like where race Sawyer gets his last races. I'm interested to see where Justin Lamb comes up with two divisionals, um, from Las Vegas. Where's Zaskowski going? Um, some of those questions may be answered this weekend, um, and obviously the results from both Reynolds and specifically from Great Bend with two races in one weekend um, will tell a lot of the tale as to what is ultimately going to happen in November. No doubt. You points chasers get those fuel cards wiped down and get ready to swipe them quite a bit and go that chase that dream. Looking forward to seeing how that plays out. NHRA Division One National Open. Luke is at Maple Grove Raceway up in Reading, Pennsylvania. And our buddies Anthony Fetch and J.P. Pascarilla are having the Jim Harrington Bracket Nationals at Cecil County Dragway up in Rising Sun, Maryland. Um, I attended that event in the year one when it was just a foot brake race. Now they have, uh, I think, both categories, Super Pro and Foot Brake. Great event. It's got the legend Jim Harrington's name on it. Those guys do a wonderful job. Cecil County, be good and fast for everybody this time of year. So go up and have a good time. See uh, JP and Fetch and enjoy the Jim Harrington Bracket Nationals. Luke got a little update on the Great American Bracket Race. Um, not sure if we ever had the date up until now or up until the last, when we talked about it last anyway. Yeah, the, the Great American Bracket Race and uh, All-State Challenge, uh, originally scheduled for early September, the weekend after Labor Day. We talked about it then. Um, weather came up. It was an awful forecast for the weekend. It was the right call. It rained all weekend. Um, had to move that race back. At the time uh, of our recording, we didn't know the exact date. That's since been released, and I don't think we've touched on it here, but that race will take place November 16th through the 18th, again at Memphis International Raceway. Um uh, and everything that was on the original schedule, all of the all of the all-state stuff, plus the fifty thousand dollar main event, the American race cars shootout, um, the King of Memphis, all the fun stuff that normally goes along with the Great American Bracket Race will take place November sixteenth through the eighteenth. So if you haven't already, mark your calendars for that. It is going to be a good one. Um, Big Jed, they condensed this into a three-day event. That was a little bit of the. They got a little bit of pushback. 
Um, on the original date, it was supposed to be a four-day race specifically for the Allstate competitors. So they figured out a way to make that a little bit better and a little bit easier um, for all of us to travel to. Again, it'll just be three days, Friday, November the 16th through Sunday, November the 18th. Yeah, and uh, they, they're going to have uh, a couple of 5Ks for the bottom bulb crowd. Uh, no box and foot brake will be called separate, and they're going to pay $5,000 per day, Saturday and Sunday. So bottom bulbers, there's something there for you to go enjoy it. It'll be a great time, November the 16th through the 18th, at the Great American Racket Race and All-State Challenge. And Luke? I believe that's about going to wrap us up, bud. Well, we have, I feel like we've gone long. This is yet another long episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. If you've made it to this point, thank you. Um, And you probably have caught on by now that uh, while we don't like to take these over an hour at this time of year, it's, I don't want to say inevitable, but it's difficult to shorten. There's a lot going on. Uh, A lot of big dollar bracket races, NHRA points winding down, bracket finals, just a lot of good stuff to talk about, and we like to try to touch on everything. Um, but we haven't done Racer Confidential in a couple weeks, Jed. And you know how I love Racer Confidential. We've got some good ones, and this one that I have to share. Um, again, this is from an anonymous racer um, from Division One, um, because I think that's <laughs> obvious as you tell the story. Here comes the story All right, from, again, Racer Confidential. Uh, we are at the bracket finals. The year is 2007. Round six of Pro ET rolls around, and my competitor and I are friendly. He is an older gentleman than myself, but we've always been very cordial, very friendly. We go up to race round six, and he gets lane choice. I do my burnout. I pull forward, and I realize out of the corner of my eye that my competitor hasn't come forward at all. Uh, My assumption is that he's had trouble in the burnout. So I sit there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting some more. Finally, my competitor proceeds forward. So I follow suit. I light my stage bulb. Um, I should mention here that the author of this story is deep staging. It makes this make a little bit more sense. So uh, I light my stage bulb and I wait for his pre-stage to light in order to go in and, and roll deep. At this point, my opponent dive bombs in there, lights both bulbs at the same time in one motion. Okay, fine. I come up on the converter, I bump in, tree comes down, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm I'm done here. That was just terrible. But as we're going down the racetrack, I'm like, oh, man, he must have had trouble because I'm still way ahead, and I coast through for a fairly easy win. So we go up to the time slip booth. And um, he's ahead of me, actually, because even with his problems, he had the faster car. He got to the turnoff before I did. Now, said racer hops out of his car and approaches my vehicle that I'm still strapped into, just with my helmet off, to what I at first think is to explain what happened and maybe even apologize for this lengthy burnout box procedure. Well, a few steps in, I realize quickly that there is no apology coming. He is pointing his finger and bleep bleeping me. That's that's a quote. Bleep bleeping me. As I'm receiving my time slip saying how all you bleeps from up there, and I'll leave out the state of origin because, again, this is anonymous. All you bleeps from up there, take your bleeping time staging and you just bleep me. And this, that, and the other thing. Okay? Bleepy McBleeper here. So... 
I, I say nothing since I, I don't want to be ejected, thrown out, going into round seven of the bracket finals. So we go up to the lanes, and uh, I find my matchup for the next round, and I'm there with my friends at the top of the lanes. And sure enough, here comes Yelly McYellerson. That's actually my favorite part of the story. Yelly <laughs> McYellerson. This time on his scooter, nearly running over my friends to get in my face and begin yelling to high heaven obscenities that would make the dad from A Christmas Story blush. Another good line here. This is what we're looking for in Racing con- <laughs> Racer Confidential, by the way. Uh, again, back to the story. I walk away calmly. My dad now tries to calm our friend down, which after a few moments, uh, the, the quote unquote friend um, tells my father that, quote, I hope he crashes. End quote. My dad also trying to be level headed here says, come on, man, you, you don't mean that. Eraser replies with, quote, I hope he crashes. End quote. He zooms off and complains to the division director that I burned him down like a typical deep stager. There you go, Big Jet. All you deep stagers causing mm. problems. And the following year, deep staging was no longer honored at all tracks in Division One, and not at the bracket finals. In the years since, it has been honored at some weekly programs, but still not at the bracket finals. So Yelly McYellerson made his point, and our author of Racer Confidential is apparently the reason that D1 has the deep staging issues that they do. I didn't realize he was such a troublemaker. What a shame. What a shame. A <laughs> uh, good hardcore bottom bobber knows exactly who you're talking about, Luke, because we all remember this story. Remember it happening, and the footbreak game was basically changed forever. Good story, nonetheless, that uh, very well told as, as well. So great job by the author sure i'll be talking to him soon luke that wraps up this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast want to say thanks to our great sponsors the fine folks at bte and this is bracket racing elite and want to say a very special thank you to rocky penta valley for joining us here on the podcast great to sit down and chat with rocky about his dream week at bristol this past week now a part that I missed dearly last week that I'm very much excited about this week is shout-out time. This is this is good stuff. I, I'm going to start off by shouting out RJ Torres. And you're, if you listen to the whole show, you're like, RJ Torres? You guys didn't talk about RJ Torres, did you? RJ Torres sent me the most phenomenal um, Facebook message I've ever received. Yes. It is a video of the coolest Chevette uh, on earth. Okay, like this super clean car show quality Chevette with a big money. Like, it's cool. And we all know, uh, if, if you haven't heard, it is the year of the Chevette. Really? Slash T1000. It is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and call it right now. Um, shout out as well to Derek Elam and his Pinto. Because the rumor is that 2019 will be the year of the Pinto. Shout out... To bottom bulbers everywhere, because it has been rumored that 2018, the year of the bottom bulbers. <laughs> and of course, shout out to Chris Garrettson and Tim Nicholson, because as we said earlier, 2018, the year of the top end throttle stop. Um, in addition, I want to shout out to uh, a little Verdi. 
that told you something earlier. That was good. I don't know if our listeners missed that, but a little Verdi, a very nice play on words, Big Ted. I Thank do you. want to shout out Mark Horton. Um, I have done this podcast from Mark Horton's spare bedroom in Millbury, Ohio. So shout out to Mark uh, for a place to stay and record the podcast. Uh, we're very thankful. Shout out to Jeff Freifogel. Love it. Shout out to Matt Powell and his electrocycle. Shout out to Buddy Love. Shout out to the Drive for 75 and Risky Business that you are going to partake in, Big Jed. On the topic of Risky Business, shout out to Tom Cruise. That was one of my favorite movies growing up. And of course, we cannot close the show without shouting out Yelly McYellerson. <laughs> Yelly McYellerson is a great wrap-up. I will add a very special shout out to Deep Staging turbo-powered motorcycle drivers across the world because we know there's many. Guys, be sure to tell us what you think about the show. You can message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, or you can at either Luke or myself right there on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. want to thank you for listening. Apologize for skipping out on you guys last week, but I know Luke wrapped it up in style. This week, we were together as a team, and we can't wait to talk to you again next week. Hope you all have a great one. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Football in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Towers in my Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>